My name is Andrew Bustamante, and this is Everyday Espionage. he and his wife had to make to support his clandestine career. But just because some careers start in secret doesn't mean that they have to end that way. Viper is the perfect example of a covert officer who applied his tradecraft in the everyday world to build an everyday business, and a very successful one at that. But I'll let him tell you what spy skills he found the most useful in his own entrepreneurial endeavor. What you love the most about espionage was the people aspect. And then you've got a marriage that you're also successfully working through. How did being a spy help or hinder you in being a spouse? Listening to people, understanding the situation and awareness of your environment, I think probably has helped me become a better spouse by just being patient and listening to what my wife is saying and wanting. And listening is one of those cheap words because we're not just talking about someone else makes a noise and you receive the noise in your eardrum. Right. Talk more about listening, if you don't mind. Yeah. So it's a sender receiver and listening. And for me, when it comes to my spouse, is I just, I need to somehow stop what I'm doing, kind of process it, listen to what is being said about the conversation and the tone and her intensity. Has she said it before? Is this the first time it's being introduced? So if I'm listening and I'm hearing some of the same themes, it makes me think, well, maybe I didn't listen the first time, or this is important to her, so maybe I should listen this time. Change my priorities. Change and listen. If she would like for me to um, do something different or see something different around the house or go on a vacation. They call it active listening, where you are not just passively listening to the sounds, but you are actively engaged in the conversation. You are trying to anticipate what they will say next and listening rather than planning what you will say in response. That, that is absolutely a real fundamental core of being a good intelligence officer. Whenever I was operational, though, I cannot tell you how many times I thought I knew where a conversation was going in the field, and then I was just knocked for a loop because I had no idea that mm-hmm. this terrorist was going to take this conversation in this direction. I had no idea that uh, this intel officer was going to take this conversation in that direction. And people just, anything, anything from people saying, you know, what I really want is comic books. And I'm sitting here thinking, how many zeros is he going to want? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, do I have to find a way to get this guy uh, gold blocks that are you know, unmarked, what, what is he going to ask for? Is he going to ask for, you know, some sort of special bourbon? What does he want? And then you find out it's something like comic books. So you find out that, you know, the reason that they're out to undermine their superior terrorist leader is because he made a joke about a family name that their sister married into. And it's just, you can't always anticipate where a conversation is going. And you have to be active listening is the only way that you don't lose the thread of conversation when those surprises happen. Active listening and just being open, like you said, you, maybe if something in a conversation comes out that you're totally unprepared for, but willing to pursue it, willing to listen and understand it. So whether it's in clandestine service capability, a friend or a spouse or a, or a boss, just kind of listen and try to figure out what they want to get accomplished. 
and achieve that goal. So we've talked about prioritization and we've talked about active listening. I want to see what we come up with next when we transition to the fact that both you and I are in entrepreneurial roles now. I know you've got at least one significant successful operational venture that you've got going on. Uh, you're in an industry where you can branch off the same resources that are used in one area you can use in a different area. What is another Intel skill that you have found yourself applying to make your business a success? Try to assess the future environment. So every good intelligence officer needs to be thinking about what's going to be next, what's next, or where do I take this at the end? How do I operationalize this development? And, and you're not talking just about you know what's happening next in the world stage. Where's the next big decision that Israel's going to make? You're talking about very intimate operational decisions down to that asset, right? Like, what is the next thing that I need to get this asset to do? What is the next thing to move this asset further down the line? How do I continue to use their information even after we successfully complete this operation? Right. It, and it's the same in the business um, private sector. As, as You just need to look at what we need to do next. And if I'm successful in one thing, if I'm having momentum, how do I operationalize that? Or in business terms, how do I capitalize so I can ultimately have the highest return on my investment. So those are the things that I think as an intelligence officer, that training allowed me to kind of think through that whole process. You know, apply that as an entrepreneur, and it really kind of fits right over each other. Yeah, we have our assets in the field, and we might have an asset that reports on covert drug activity in Mexico, let's say. Well, if they can report on covert drug trade, can they also report on covert finance? Can they also report on corrupt police? Can they also report on human trafficking? And once we have a reliable source, we find as many ways to use them as possible. And I don't think that's something that many people understand. And you're saying that we need to do the exact same thing in business. We have this asset. How do we use it in every possible way? And that is exactly the same way the clandestine operations work. It works the same in a private uh, venture is operationalize on and find out where you can be most successful and reinforce it. And networking is an awesome example of this because you've got in clandestine terminology, you're talking about what's known as an access agent, an agent who can provide access to a network or provide access to a source, someone who can gain you a connection in a place where you can't connect on your own, right? So we call them access agents in the world of espionage, but they're just a networking connection in the world of business. And people go to these, people get invited to network meetings every week. And so I've seen people just shake their head and say, oh, I've got to go to another networking meeting. And I, I completely understand because you go to these things and when they're immature, they're really just a confetti of business cards. But when you are a mature networker, when you are a mature handling officer, you know that you go in there and what you've just walked into is a cornucopia of access agents who are there to connect you with other networks if you know how to manage the case. Yeah. Uh, really try to take advantage of that because some of the, in the business community, if you're new into that sector or you're new in the community, someone usually really needs to be able to provide you access or at least make the introduction. And then really the, the best scenario is that someone provides you an access and opportunity and it kind of continues with opening up other opportunities yeah. and access and then, then you may even have a collaboration that furthers your entrepreneurial goals. Absolutely. So then prioritization is important to us, active listening, and then we just talked on the power of networking. So all of these are these useful 
espionage skills that have helped you in business and helped you in your personal life. What was it about espionage that you didn't like? I think the intensity and the duration. So being away from home, whether it's days or months at a time. And sometimes you realize that you put a lot of energy and effort into an operation and that it, it never transpires. And not really due to your own fault, right. but the operational environment changes. changes. The person's placement access changes. Um, National security priorities change. change. So, so many things change. So you put a lot of energy, institutional energy and knowledge into an operation doesn't actually end the way you thought it would at the beginning. And that is very similar to the private sector entrepreneur endeavors as well. You put a lot of money and time and energy into something, and it may change over time based off the changing business environment. Changes in technology. There's so many things. And you need to really be able to identify that early as a young entrepreneur and either figure out how to have an exit strategy out of that arm that you're pursuing and try to figure out how to capitalize on something else similar to what you, where you put all your resources and energy. Yeah, that same leveraging the assets again, just like you were talking about before. A massive shift in the economic status of a country or in technology that totally disrupts industry as you know it. How do you pivot and use the same assets in a different avenue, in a, in a different venture? I've been fortunate not to have a lot of experiences with security priorities changing underneath me. My career was focused on strategic threats that remain strategic threats during the course of my time at CIA. But I have watched, I've seen people go to school for two years to learn a language, this obscure language that was a priority in 2000, whatever, 2006, 2008, 2009. And then the day that they graduate to go on this deployment, nobody cares about that region anymore. Nobody cares about that mission anymore. And they get sent to some other arbitrary location with two years of Tagalog, and now here they go to Paris, France, with no French. They know that walking in the door that they're going to have to work twice as hard as their other officers, who all have French, because they don't have the language, they're being redirected to a location that they didn't expect to go, and how are they going to manage their way through that to build this career that they want to build? Because they're all all high-achieving, all-ambitious people. I would also look at that as, a, as an opportunity well, that's because you are who you are. <laughs> <laughs> so it is the nature of business and it's the nature of governments to, to try to predict the resources they need to either develop and the personnel they need to develop and the skill sets they need to, need to be developed. When it's time to implement that out of that training pipeline or the developmental process of research and development on the private sector or uh, resource uh, personnel development in the, in the government sector, when you're finally able to take that product and and apply it to the problem set problems it's changed right so you've got to figure out how to refocus and reallocate and i think as a as an individual on the government side it's an opportunity i think in the private sector as an entrepreneur it's an opportunity as well being very flexible Mm. and fluid and willing to accept change i think that is a challenge government organizations government personnel military and private sector sometimes finds as a real challenge is that ability to rapidly change. How do you manage? How do you take on that flexibility? Because I've seen you do it extremely successfully. Everything is equally challenged and opportunity. How do you adapt to those changes? How do you always find the opportunity and the challenge? I, I try to start out with the mindset that I look at everything as an opportunity, as a benefit. And then if I have that mindset, I look for opportunities that will help either in a business or intelligence 
opportunity to, to excel, to exceed, because there's so many reasons why, why things cannot be done, a bureaucracy that you must run up against. In the private sector, it's the same. Um, as an entrepreneur, there's so many hurdles. There are legal hurdles. There are mm. financial hurdles. There are environmental hurdles. There are so many things that would tell you that we, we cannot move forward on this idea. If that was the case, then there would be no new ideas in a religious setting. So we've got to figure out how to look at every challenge as an opportunity to excel. And if we have that attitude, that mindset, and be remain very flexible. What, what I always say, the, the only thing constant in life is change. Yeah. And sometimes you run headlong into people or processes that refuse to change. You were just telling me a story about this earlier today. How do you manage that moment? It's all great when everybody changes with you. It's all great when you're serving a team that's adaptable. But what happens when you hit that immovable object? What do you do then? You either try again. <laughs> try again. Uh, or you figure out, how can I skirt this? How can I move around this obstacle to still achieve the same goal at the end? And you got to figure out what those opportunities are and then how to exploit that little fleeing moment. Mm to achieve, to move around this um, bureaucratic obstacle or relationship obstacle or whatever it is that's uh, a blocking way to blocking it. So you've got to figure out a way to get around that. If you can't figure out a way to get over or around it, then you just got to figure out a new path. And it's interesting because you, you're putting a lot of effort and energy into f solutioning through this problem. And the whole time that you're doing this, that individual, that leader, that competitor, whoever's blocking the way, mm -hmm. they're not putting any energy into changing. Right. So you can rush ahead, if you will, and hopefully you're building more momentum exactly. than they are. Yep. And that will provide more achievable opportunities for you. If you do that, I think that helps you stay very focused and not spend wasteful energy on things that you cannot change or affect. So I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit here because I see very much your mentor role, but if we dig just a little bit deeper, right? If we scratch just beneath the surface, we also know that you have special skills so that when you run into something where you don't have control, quote unquote, you have the kind of skills that you can use to assert yourself and take control. I want to throw that out there because one of the things that happens to me, and I know it happens to you because it's happening now, is we put ourselves into our role where we hide our talents. But you actually have talents and skills that allow you to take control in situations that others cannot take control. How do you choose when to use those skills? How do you choose when to exercise them, when to share them, when to teach them, when to hide them? You just have to figure out the, the situation. So does it warrant being more aggressive? Will you achieve the desired end state by being more aggressive? Or sometimes I would say you can almost achieve the desired end state by being more passive. Mm. And that's where we had to figure that out. Right. You know, where do you apply those phenomenal skill sets that you learn in the clandestine community, uh, apply them in the private sector? Or... So I, you just got to figure out when and where to apply those. And and I would also say that without insult. So you would, or at least without the perception of insult. Perception of insult. So you, human nature is... Some, generally kind of defensive. Right. And so you've got to figure out in that conversation of the bureaucracy or the person, whatever that you're up against the challenge and how you're going to utilize some of these really universal techniques, figure out what's the perception going to be. And so you have to kind of factor that in as well. You mentioned maybe it's time to be more aggressive 
or maybe the situation warrants better results if you're more passive. And that immediately made me think of elicitation. So we're taught elicitation skills that help us control a conversation, help us develop and control a conversation. And one of the most surprising and most impactful elicitation techniques that I ever learned was the skill of just not talking. It was so counterintuitive to me. How am I going to elicit information by not talking? And then we just started applying it. Then we started exercising it. And then I started using it operationally. And it is, it's exactly like you said. Sometimes we think that the answer is to be aggressive because we think that we just got to, we have to bully our way to what we want. Sometimes the answer is actually to be passive because in that withdrawal, when you leave a vacuum behind you, other people feel compelled to fill. And that's exactly how it works in conversation. You want someone to talk about where they went to school. You want them to talk about their access. You want them to talk about their weaknesses or their vulnerabilities or some opportunity that you have to recruit them. When you stop talking, they need to fill the <laughs> void. <laughs> so they'll want to talk, right? So this is where that passive, sometimes you can assess it quickly and say, okay, maybe I just need to listen more and that'll provide an opportunity to maybe de-escalate right. the situation as well. Usually when that happens, you, you can figure out how to move it forward from there. Yeah. Being the person who, who puts yourself on pause, being the person who waits or who stays silent intentionally, that is all a person in control. Those are deliberate actions that you are intentionally taking in order to get a desired outcome. And the desired outcome, the person who's pursuing the desired outcome is the person in control. It's kind of like a clandestine service, private sector, and sales of the private sector. Drunk it's the same sales, thing. Yeah. So I think really, really um, exceptional salespersons listen more and allow the, the customer, uh, the client, to sell themselves. Mm -hmm. and same thing in the intelligence community as a clandestine officer. We, we want that potential source, that potential uh, recruited asset to really kind of build the path for themselves yeah. and really understand what they're trying to accomplish and why it's so important to them. It's not just sales, it's also many business ventures Oh yeah, as absolutely, well. and investment and yeah. the list goes on. And the idea that an asset recruits themselves is another one of those cognitively challenging concepts to learn. That when you've done your job really well as a field officer, you're never really asking anyone to spy against their country you don't get more than a few sentences in before they tell you that it was their idea. And yeah, that's the ideal recruitment is one that is basically self-recruiting. and It's just super easy to predict and it's, it's natural. It's the same in the business sector as well. And so I think that's the ideal relationship to have in business. If you have a product or a service that you're providing, people realize that they need it or want it and they just ultimately reach out to you. That, that's the best, best scenario there. We talked earlier today about how intelligence services work together. And this transition that we've made to entrepreneurship, I think is excellent because, you know, an entrepreneur is a person who goes out and tries to start a business, but really it's not one person who does that. You started a business, your spouse was involved, your spouse's family was involved, your family was involved. Everybody's made sacrifices to get this thing off the ground. Now you've got employees who keep the business going. You've got customers who keep the business going. So entrepreneurship is almost a misnomer. It's not a one man show. Intelligence operations is not a one-person show. If all of the United States only have one service, and that service was, let's say, CIA, we would never be able to make an arrest. We would never be able to stop anybody from committing a crime inside the United States because we don't have the right, we don't have the federal jurisdiction to have arrest authority. It's why anytime you see a CIA person in the movies who has a badge, 
or an ID of some sort, you know that it's completely fake. We don't, we don't carry a badge. We don't carry an ID. We carry an access card that doesn't have any markings on it at all <laughs> and can easily Correct. be mistaken as a piece yeah. of you know yeah. forgotten hotel litter or whatever yes. it is. You know I'm talking about authorities. Can you help educate everyone listening? What are authorities? How do they work? Authorities at the national level. So part of the Department of Defense has authorities under U.S. Code, Title Codes, that allows the Department of Defense to, to build an arm and service, establish a military, all the different services, branches. And then the authorities that allow them to go overseas, abroad, and defend the national interests of the nation based on President, Secretary of Defense directives. So those authorities are, are limited. So you have to apply your, your force within those limitations. Same thing in Department of Defense Intelligence. There are limitations as well in authorities, and you have to abide by those limitations and authorities. And that kind of keeps everybody focused on the right uh, objectives, the correct objectives, and then probably complements among the greater U.S. intelligence architecture to ensure that everyone is focused on a priority that complements each other. Yeah, absolutely. And you're talking specifically about DOD from your experience, but the same thing exists in the civilian sector. NSA has specific authorities. Border Patrol has specific authorities. FBI has specific authorities. CIA has specific authorities. And the authorities don't overlap. They juncture. It's not like DIA can overstep into CIA authorities. There's no title code that allows for that. If they choose to do something together... They have to exercise both of their authorities exactly to the point where they can perform a handoff. This is what bit us in September of 2001, when we didn't use those authorities correctly, we didn't share information correctly, and the worst kind of event happened. Yeah, the, the sharing. So it's the collaboration. And going back, there's a formal collaboration and sharing, and there's an informal collaboration and sharing that has to take place in, in organizations and in the private sector. So in that case... After the 9-11-2001 attacks, uh, there was a, a great need, desire to realize that we needed to collaborate and share across many levels of the U.S. government and at different levels of classifications of security. Yeah. So rightfully so, we, we figured that out and we've, uh, we've improved drastically since then. When you said that a intelligence organization has to be limited, the process of limiting what you can do helps you focus and prioritize your resources in what you do best. And I find that that is where I've seen businesses really struggle. When somebody gets stuck doing something that they're just not comfortable with, they're not good at, and instead of bringing on someone or bringing someone alongside them who is good, who is naturally talented, who is naturally skilled at that other task, they try to stretch themselves. They try to learn while they're trying to run a business. They try to do too much with limited resources and everything starts to fall apart. They don't define their own limitations, define their own authorities, their own responsibility, and then define the same thing for someone else and bring the two alongside. It's the classic model of a failure of a small startup. You may say the, the product or the service you provide begins to maintain, gain some momentum. Well, if you're a small startup and it's one, two, three, four, whatever the small number is, and there are much more responsibilities and obligations, there's no way that in a 24-hour period they can oversee all that and, and look for the next future opportunity. That's where a lot of businesses do fail. Those that succeed are the ones that can understand their specialty and neither focus their product, services, and that specialty, or within the internal organization, focus what they can do well for their organization to manage it 
and then outsource some of the other functions. And, 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 and it's kind of hard for a small business to do that because it's going to cost a little bit of money. But for an entrepreneur, at least the leader and the key managers in that organization, their time is worth so much money. Right. You can't do it all. So sometimes it makes sense to outsource some of those functions within your organization that ultimately provides you more time that allows you to focus on things that bring in more revenue. The outsourcing question is one that's really difficult because, like you said, there's limited resources. And I find that what has helped me, and I think that what you have also had success with, is that you really do have to focus in on what you do best, doing it the best, and having multiple leverage routes for the resources that you have. We all think we want to grow in some certain way. But sometimes the best way to grow is the way that the business takes you naturally. Whether it's our own personal startup, our own business, whether it's our education, whatever it might be, how do you maximize the leverage for the assets that you have? And how do you use the advantage of understanding that limiting yourself is oftentimes the most powerful way forward instead of trying to expand? Yeah. Yeah, overextending most generally will cause burnout and the result of the burnout will be a felt business. Failure is the one threat that we all have in common, in espionage, in business, in everyday life. But there are tactics that we can all use to offset that threat. Viper covered a few of those in this conversation. He talked about how active listening is something that you can use not only to understand the current environment, but also to predict the future environment. He talked about building networks because networks give you increased access to resources and knowledge that others are lacking. And he talked about collaborating with others who have different skill sets, but shared objectives with you. CIA and DIA work together not only to maximize their resources, but also to maximize their operational potential. The U.S. government sets limitations on intelligence agencies, and they call those limitations authorities. When an intel service wants to conduct an operation where they do not have authority, they're forced to collaborate with one another to make an operation happen. The same thing is true for each of us in our everyday life. We have limitations. Those limitations might be based on finances or geography, experience or something else altogether. But when we collaborate with someone else, when we use the human business of espionage, that is what makes the difference between success and failure. And that is everyday espionage. Everyday Espionage is dedicated to one thing, educating everyday people. I know that not everyone will listen, but those who listen will learn. If you learned something new today, click subscribe, review, and share the podcast with a friend. Find me on social media at Everyday Spy or on my website, everydayspy.com. If you are up for a special challenge, visit everydayspy.com forward slash operations and join me for an authentic spy training mission. And above all else, remember that knowledge is freedom.